was never planning to have a sponsor for the show unless it was something I really believed in. I've always believed in therapy, and I really believe in BetterHelp.com. Not only do I believe in them, but I'm a client of theirs as well. Registering was simple, and you can choose from various packages, some that start as low as $45 a week. You can utilize email, text, instant messaging, or video chat for your counseling. Some packages include unlimited contact. One of the best features is that you can connect with your therapist no matter where you are. How cool is that? If you're out of town, you can still have your regularly scheduled session or connect with your therapist from anywhere in the world. Sign up now at BetterHelp.com slash TheDepressionFiles and get 10% off your first month. That was BetterHelp.com slash TheDepressionFiles. It's professional, accessible, affordable, and convenient. Why not give it a shot? When you're when you're crushing two bottles of wine a night just to go to sleep, look when you when you're watching your life disintegrate, you're pretty open to suggestions. Welcome to the Depression Files, where you'll hear interviews of men who have struggled with depression. We talk about everything related to mental health, from depression and other mental illnesses to medication to suicide awareness and prevention to our current mental health system and of course, to the stigma that surrounds mental illnesses. I believe that sharing stories is one of the best ways to chip away at the stigma. I also believe that sharing stories helps to educate those who may know little about mental illnesses while giving hope to those who may be suffering. I'm your host, Al Levin, and I wanna thank you for tuning in. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to The Depression Files. I'm Al Levin, the host, I'm really excited. Uh, tonight on the line, we have Carl Waggett. Carl is a firefighter and a PTSD advocate. Carl, welcome to the show. Well, thanks so much for having me, Al. This is great. Look, when I when I heard about your podcast and I listened to a few episodes, I thought, I've got to get on this show. So thanks so much for having me on here. Absolutely. Uh, and, and I got to tell you, I have been struggling to get a firefighter on the show it is one of the, you know, I've wanted an emergency <laughs> responder, a firefighter, a police, any of those kind of helping jobs that I think deal with an incredible amount of stress that I'm sure we'll get into. And uh, I just, I'm trying to make this a platform for a wide, wide variety of men to share their stories and everybody is different. So I'm thrilled to be able to, to hear from a firefighter. Yeah. And, you know, that's the interesting thing. You're not going to hear from too many firefighters or anybody in the emergency services. Right. Because, well, I mean, my generation in the 80s, I grew up watching war movies like Hamburger Hill and Rambo and Missing in Action and all, you know, all these movies. Right. So when this whole PTSD, this depression, anxiety thing started to come out, I thought, well, I mean, how can I possibly have this? I'm a firefighter. Like, I love going to my job. I I do. It's fun. You know, it's you know, we, we eat steaks. We you know, we help people. You know, we don't make a product. We don't sell a product. We just we we help people. That's it. So the thing that I started to find with this whole PTSD was it wasn't like the Hollywood flashbacks or, or stuff like that. I just started to notice that my, well, my life started coming apart. You know, it was really, really strange and I, I couldn't figure out why. And you know, what happened in, in my line of work or in my department is we lost a guy to suicide. 
Right. And, you know, as soon as that happened, I, everything kind of changed for me because, you know, it's, it's kind of that dirty little secret in the emergency services. Right. Like, you know, hey, you take uh, firefighters. Well, in Canada, anyways, they make a they make a good amount of money. Right. Anywhere from 90 to 100 thousand dollars. And, you know, we, we work 24 hour shifts, which means we only really work seven days a month. Right. But we lose more people to suicide than we do fire. Uh. Yeah, you know, it's, yeah, it's, you know, it's crazy, right? It doesn't add up. It right? really you know, is. So you know, got- I got to slow you down here. So take a deep breath. I know you are on a, uh, you got a podcast and stuff on your yeah. own where you talk and you have so much energy. Before this interview, I told my brother I was, I was going to have to down a few uh, Red Bulls just to keep up oh. with your level of energy, man, <laughs> which I love. I think it's fantastic. And it, it's great for your, uh, your podcasting. Your YouTubing is awesome. But so tell us, take us back. You are 44 years old. How long have you been a fireman? Well, I, I started 15 years ago, right? I, I started in 2002, right? And, uh, you know, I, I'll be honest, I thought I hit the lotto. Like, I really, really did. You know, I, you know, for the first five years, I, I couldn't believe that I got paid for what I did. But, uh, you know, never making, never taking any kind of consideration to what I was witnessing. Right. Right. Because, you know, the, the stuff that you witness, well, this doesn't bother you because we'll, we'll spend 12 weeks in training and we'll learn everything from dash rolls to hazmat calls to, you know, fire prevention to education. But we'll learn nothing about how we're affected by what we see. Yeah, exactly. Now, yeah, yeah. So now back in the day, we used to deal with that with alcohol, right? That's that's how we used to deal with it. But hey, you know, it's it's 2019. We're starting to learn a lot more about the brain here. You know, we're starting to realize what depression is, what anxiety is, what PTSD is. And, and you know, I've said numerous times, I, I think the biggest problem with depression and men, it, it's a marketing problem, right? If, if men actually knew what depression was, they'd be like, holy geez, yeah, I would love to get help for that. Yeah. But, you know, the biggest shock for me was I, I thought depression was just sadness right right I, I, I did I'm sorry I did no I think you're absolutely right and that's part of the reason I have this show because I want to educate people about depression because I believe also a big misconception that it's just sadness and I believe a lot of times it isn't sadness at all it's more of a numbness to feeling it's and, and just saying it's sadness just uh, minimizes it to a bare bare minimum but so so you became a firefighter close to age of 30 it sounds like yeah, it was uh, 27, actually. What yeah, were you was, doing yeah. uh, prior to that? Well, it's funny. I was a golf pro before that, right? And, you know, I, 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 you know, and I wanted to play on the PGA Tour. Are you kidding me? Like, to walk down the 18th at Augusta National is all I wanted. And I got a chance to go on a golf scholarship to Kansas at a junior college. And then I found out how good Americans were at playing golf. Right? <laughs> and I, went, I remember calling my dad and saying, look, dad, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm in junior college and these guys are cleaning the floor with me. I said, I, I'm not going to make the show. So, you know, I, I went back home and I became a golf pro at a golf course, you know, and, and then I realized that, oh, geez, you know, if I'm going to have a family, I'm going to have to earn some more money. But I, I couldn't really understand, you know, what, where to go from there, what to do. But the one thing I always knew was that I, I really enjoyed helping people. And I know it sounds cheesy, right? I know it does, but it was the only thing that ever gave me real satisfaction. And I look, it was as simple as seeing a fire truck driving down the street. And I was like, oh my God, I got to do that. Like, I, I have no idea how to do it, but I just have one of those personalities that look, I don't really care either. Right. You know, if I want something, I want it. So I just, I go after it. And two and a half years later, I got hired, you wow. know, no, no understanding what I was getting into. Right. right. No comprehension. Look, I thought, you know, as long as I was physically strong, that's all I needed. Uh-huh. Right. I had, I had no idea that mentally there was another side to this game. And and I really think that if, if we can educate the firefighters coming on now, 
right? It's not a tougher or weak thing, but once they understand how their brain processes information, this is when the cities are going to get excited because their sick time is going to go down. Yeah. You know, it really, the sick time is terrible, terrible, terrible. It's costing taxpayers money like you wouldn't believe. And there's one thing that I find that stigma definitely disappears once money comes involved. No, you, you don't get stigma in professional sports with psychology. Like, right. You know, if somebody's having a rough time and they're having problems playing, that organization doesn't wait till they get over it. Like, right, please, right, they, right. they've invested too much money, right? So, so yeah, no, it's, you know, as soon as we start educating, that's why when I saw your podcast, I thought, I, I got to get a part of that. I mean, that's fantastic that you're doing this. Yeah. So 27 and you want to go into a helping field and of all the possible helping fields, I mean, you could have been a teacher, although I believe, uh, Educators are under an incredible amount of stress these days, too. But you could have been a teacher. You could have been gone into the health field like a nurse or something. Was it just the big fire truck you saw that you were like, that's for me? Do you want to know the truth? Yeah. Like the, the honest truth? What was the, the draw? Edu- the education requirements were lower. Okay. All right. Like seriously, if, you, if you're going to be a doctor, guess what? That's 10 years of schooling, right? You're going to be a nurse. Like you, people don't realize how smart nurses are. Paramedics, you got to be kidding me. Those guys push drugs. Firefighter at the time, you didn't even need college when I got hired. Okay. Okay. All you needed was a work ethic and, and the ability to network. Right. And I was like, I was like, okay, I can do this. I can figure out how to get hired. Yeah. And you know what, when you want something that bad, you look, eventually you get it. Right. Right. That's what, that's what happens. Right. And, and what was your uh, training? Like how long was it? How intense? Well, the training was 12 weeks. And, and what that really did was that that taught you, you know, all the department procedures. All right. What they call SOGs, which is standard operating guidelines. And, you know, these are kind of like recipes for a house fire. Like if you go to a house fire, what do you do? Well, there's a step by step, believe it or not. Right. And, and same with a car accident. And you, you learn the skill set. And then for the first two years on the job, you keep your mouth shut and do what you're told. Right. Because it, you, there's no substitutes for uh, experience. Right? In, in your and, training, did they ever talk about mental health and the impact that seeing some incredibly tragic scenes may do to your brain? Well, this is the incredible thing. Unfortunately, no, because, you know, and to give a little credit to the fire service, look, the fire department, they're responsible for anything that harms human life. Like if a UFO falls out of the sky, the fire department's going to it, right? right. They really are. So they're responsible for learning so much. And now society wants them to be psychologists. And they're like, we don't know what to do with this. Like we just, we just, look, we want to help our brothers and sisters, whatever you want to call, but we don't know, we, we just don't know what to do. And unfortunately, when something is that scary, you know, it's kind of hunting your brothers and sisters. Look, that's a hard thing to look at. Oh, yeah. Right. So so this is why, unfortunately, you're not going to get too many people talking about the subject. Look, I think in five, 10 years, it's all you're going to talk about. Right. You know, the, the, the Facebook live show that I do, look, every podcast, every production that I do, I, I put an underlying flavor on it of you're helping people that don't want to listen to mental health. Right. All right. So, so talk in a way that you would have not been able to shut yourself down. Right. Cause every podcast I do, I, I think to myself, okay, could you make fun of this in some way? Right. Right. You know, so, and, and like I said, I, you know, the, these, these individuals in the emergency services and, you know, grown men and women are highly, highly educated. But the problem is, is that we don't live in a classroom. So if your definition of depression is one thing, it's going to stay there. Right. Okay. N- nobody comes into your house and tests you on it. You know what I mean? And when you're trying to pay your mortgage and trying to figure out how to send your kids to university and trying to make your car stay on the road, are you really researching mental health? Well, probably not. I think men, especially men, are starting to realize that, you know, wait a minute, I've been working on my body since the beginning of my life. You're telling me that if I concentrate on my brain, everything's easier? Right, right. 
wait a minute, this is very cool. I like the way this works out. Yeah. So 15 years in firefighting, is that right? Yeah. Now, I, I've been off the trucks right now for two and a half years. Two and a half so years I, because yeah, of the PTSD. Yeah. The PTSD, you know, uh, different things that are going on. Because, look, the fire service, it's, you know, hey, this is very touch and go with mental health. Look, I would love it if every commanding officer went out there and went, oh, you know what? Yes, you have mental health issues. Well, look, let's look after you. But what you have to remember is these these people in command right now have fought this stuff their entire life. Right. Like they, they fought it through the means that they fought it through, whichever, whether it would be substance abuse or whatever, but they figured out a way to get through it. And now the next generation is coming forward saying, well, I want help with this. And exactly. they're like, well, we, we made it through it. Why should you? Well, that's what you call evolution. Right, right. <laughs> you know, so you in, know your, in your 15 years, did you have any PTSD until the very end? I mean, well, were you experiencing PTSD symptoms looking back on it or even did you know you were at the time? Well, I, I tell you the one that I think through the research after researching this, the one thing that I definitely had a lot earlier than I ever thought was depression. Okay. Now, now here's a shocker with depression. Look, when I was at my absolute worst with depression, now that I understand it now, that's when I was at my funniest at work. Right. Right. So it's very, very interesting because look, when your life is that terrible and everything hurts that much, it's almost like it pushes you past the point of crying and you start laughing at it. Like it's, it's almost funny. And you get this really kind of weird, strange ability to make fun of stuff. Right. And I always found that that when my depression was at my worst, that's when I was my most animated. So this really threw me off the, the bread trail of depression, because how can I possibly be depressed? I just made an entire room of firefighters laugh. So it was completely off your radar. Oh, you know, not even close because like I said, as far as I was concerned, you know, depression was acting like Squidward on SpongeBob, you know, always, always miserable, always down. And that wasn't me. But the, like you said so beautifully, the beginning of the show was, look, I'm, I'm like, I don't feel anything anymore. Right. Okay. It's like having an itch that I can't scratch, uh, you know, walking down the street with my significant other. I don't feel anything. And I, I know men aren't really taught to feel and we only have like three or four feelings, right? You know, we have hungry and horny and tired and that's about it, right? <laughs> but, the, but the thing is, is that, you know, the fact of the matter is whether we understand it or not, we are feeling this stuff. And I think this is what really crushes men because, you know, in their head, they're like, wait a minute, I can handle this, but I am so unhappy. Yeah. But men, men aren't allowed to be unhappy, right? It's interesting though. I mean, and everybody's depression is different, right? There is mm -hmm. no way I could have gone into a room of men and, and made them laugh when I was at, when I was going through my major depressive bout, there was no way. And I'm curious. So you were able to socialize at work, put that mask on, pretend to be fine. And what kind of symptoms were you experiencing? Did you just crash when you went home? Were you able to sleep? Were you eating? What were your what? symptoms like? That's really interesting because, you know, as for, you know, I, I enjoy being around people. Like I said, when I was in the golf business, the one thing I liked was being around four new people every eight minutes. So I, I would I would go to work and I put this wonderful mask on and that would be fun, fine. But look, the second the clock went, I was home. Look, Carl, look, if royalty would have called me and said, Carl, we'd like to have dinner with you. I'm not leaving my house. All right. Because nothing was fun. Right. I didn't enjoy anything. So all I really looked for was pleasures as far as, okay, I sit on the couch and I watch TV and I eat fatty foods. Okay. That, that was my fun. Right. And that's where I really noticed the depression would, would get me because, well, it, there was no point in going out and putting an effort out to have fun. Cause I wasn't having fun anyways. 
right? And I was always the great cloud, right? Everybody else is having fun and I don't know, I'd be making fun of something or whatever, trying to play it out, but but not understanding that, look, this, unless we learn how to fight this stuff, this stuff is so much more powerful than you. Right. Because I started, I started to understand that actually depression is one of the greatest warriors out there and a lot of people don't give it credit because I found that, look, the only thing you can fight depression with is, is, is light, okay? You, you can't fight a dark room with more darkness. You just can't, right? But if you go into that dark room and you light a match, you will light a 10 by 10 square foot room, no problem, with a little bit of light. But what depression really does is what I found was it, it, it sneaks out all the stuff that you personally enjoy because everybody's got that thing that they love to do when they're down, right? It, it doesn't matter, right? Maybe it's hitting a bucket of balls. Maybe it's woodworking. Maybe it's singing, right? It doesn't really matter. But what I found was every time I went to go do those things that were fun because I was bored, I didn't want to do them anymore. Yeah. Look, I, I, I couldn't be bothered. I didn't want to play golf. And I remember my father calling me and saying, hey, you know, Carl, let's let's go play golf because I grew up playing golf with my father. And I'd be like, ah, dad, I don't really feel it. And he'd be like, oh, something's really wrong. Yeah, and that, I, but, that but is definitely that is definitely a yeah. symptom of depression that is often overlooked. But if you lose interest suddenly in things that you love doing, then you should realize, you know, take a look at that. If you're a, a man listening to the show and all of a sudden you look at your own life and you realize you're not doing those things that you enjoyed once, then consider whether or not it may be depression that you're experiencing. I have lots of examples of that. One is that, uh, you know, I have four kids. I love photography, even just with my iPhone. But I went mm -hmm. through a period where I never pulled it out and took a photo. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I, and that's, and that can be really scary. I mean, like our, our divorce rate in our fire department is 50%, yeah. right? So, you know, nothing scarier after about 10 or 12 years in a marriage and you're sat across from your spouse and you're like, you know what? I'm not, I'm not angry. I'm not upset, but I'm, I'm not happy either. Right. Right. So all of a sudden it makes you start asking these questions. Like, am I falling out of love? And, yeah. and you do, you do not want to follow that thread right, <laughs> right, right. because, you know, the, and you know, I think we all know where this is going, right? If you leave the marriage, you go meet somebody else and guess what? You can't feel anything there either. Right. So you gotta be really, really careful. And a lot of people go, well, I don't care if I f can't feel anything. Well, here's something really interesting. And a lot of men probably understand this one. Look, when you can't feel anything, you can say the most awful things to people. All right. And it doesn't phase you at all. Okay. And I can remember, look, I, you know, me and my parents are, are one, I, I really get along with them, but I, in my worst times, I can remember arguing with my mom and seeing my mom crying and looking at her going, I'm sorry, mom, but that's the facts. And it needs to be said, right. With just zero emotion. Right. So, you know, you gotta be really, really careful with this because if you're not feeling stuff before you know where you are, you, you know, these words have fallen out of your mouth and I can tell you from experience, you can't unsay something. Yeah. All right, you can buy, you can buy flowers, you can apologize, you can do everything, but you can never take back what you said. Yeah, that's true. You know, and then if you're not feeling anything and you know, you maybe you're dealing with a little bit of PTSD or whatever, right? And you've got some aggression, that's a really dangerous combination, especially if you've isolated yourself cuz hey, who are you going to beat up? Your loved ones. Yeah, exactly. Right? And then you get to meet that wonderful friend called guilt. Oh, right. Buddy. Right. That guy's steadfast. Oh, okay. yeah. He gets Oh, and when you're going through depression, you just start beating yourself up with that stuff. Of course, absolutely. So how long would you say you had been a firefighter when you started having these symptoms of depression? Well, you know, I really would have started to notice it. Um, as for depression, now, of course, I would have no idea what it was, but I would say around eight, uh, year eight. Okay. Okay, that, that's, that's when I'm starting to go, okay, look, you know what? I'm starting to pick fights now. Okay. You know, I've, I've kind of gone past that. I don't feel anything and I can say the most awful things and it doesn't bother me to, okay, now I'm getting in fights at work. Literally. Okay, and then, they, well, well, not physically because, you know, but just arguments, right? right. Look, you, you take four 
type A personalities and lock them in a room for 24 hours, <laughs> there's going to be some heated debate. Like, trust me. Right, and, you know, and if you can't feel anything from depression, there's one thing you will always feel, and that's adrenaline. And you get an argument with somebody and you're going to feel adrenaline. Right. And the problem is your mind starts to pick up on that and it doesn't care if it's good or bad. It's just feeling something. So this is when you get these people at work that can't stop fighting. Why do they fight so much? Oh my God. Right. Because, well, you know, you're fighting and your blood pressure is going up and it, believe it or not, it feels good. You don't like the outcome of it. I mean, please don't get me wrong, but if you're not feeling anything, how else are you going to raise a pulse? Right. Right. And, and to firefighters and people in the emergency services, they're pretty active people. Oh yeah. Right. And, and, they're pretty used to turning adrenaline on, right? They can pretty much turn it on like a switch. No problem. They turn it on at two o'clock in the morning when a structure fire comes in, right? So, you know, you take that firefighter out of the firehouse and you put him in a normal environment and somebody says something and he snaps, which he thinks is perfectly normal. Guess what? Now he's, he's the bad guy. And that's when you start to meet guilt. Oh, yeah. And that's what I, that's what I found. It was like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to put a, I'm going to put a mask on the patient here. I'm just going to remove myself from everybody else because look, obviously I don't get along with people anymore, which nothing could be further from the truth. And, and simply by talking to a doctor or a therapist or a little bit more information would have fixed the whole thing. Right. Right. It really, right. really would have, it would have, it would have fixed everything. Can you put your finger on what it was that caused the depression? I mean, is this the work of the firefighter that caused the depression? Do you think, or did well, it just come out of nowhere? Well, you know, I, obviously I'm not a doctor, but you know, if, when you work in a line of work where it's, it's, it's very, very heightened all the time. Okay. You, you bottom line, you get desensitized to stuff. Absolutely. All right. So, you, you know, like a, a, a firefighter's definition of panic would be a little bit different than an accountant's right, right. definition of, of panic. Right. That makes total sense. So, you know, depression aside, all of a sudden you've got this for you where, look, normal day life just it's not nowhere near like it is for you at work. You know, I, I remember when it got to the point that the first time that I came home after a house fire, I never told anybody. Right. Because usually like you're, you're like a little kid. Oh, my gosh, I was a real firefighter. You know, I went to a fire and did all this. Right. And I remember the first time I came home and walked in the door and we had a house fire and I didn't say anything to the family. I just went upstairs, had a shower, made meal. Yeah, that, that is really you know, interesting. Yeah. That's an interesting thing to catch on your own and well, how it just had become normal for you. Right. You normalized it. Well, you know, everybody thinks this PTSD, depression, anxiety is a fear thing. What really tipped me off, Al, was I found myself in a house fire once with a crew and I was like, I was going to sit down and have tea. And I knew, well, yeah. And I even look, I knew, okay, this isn't right. Like when you feel no fear, you're dangerous. Like seriously, people have to understand that's not courage. Okay. That's stupidity. (laughs) You have to understand like just running into something blindly and, oh, I don't feel anything. Look, if you're not scared, your head's not in the game. Yeah, absolutely. Let's be honest. It's fire. Right. Were you, uh, with the particular department you were working at, were you going to some pretty horrific scenes or what were typical days like for you? Well, you know, that's that's the biggest shock I got from the fire service. Look, I would have thought the worst calls would have been the grossest ones, right? I really would have. That's what I would have thought. But, you know, the calls that used to get to me the most was just elderly people that right. are left alone in an apartment. And, you know, you go there and, you, you know, you're, you're helping this individual and all you can do is think about your parents. Right. And, you know, those those are the calls that, that stay with you or, or stay with me anyways. Look, everybody's different. Everybody has their own button, right? But, you know, like I was saying at the beginning of the show, look, no idea how my brain would react to any of this stuff. And the biggest problem with emergency service workers is, look, they get in this job to help people. Okay, so they, they have a, an enormous level of empathy. 
You know, they, they would they would risk their life and everything that they have for a person they've never met before. Right. Okay. There's people out there that wouldn't do that for their kids. Like <laughs> seriously, think about it. Right. Absolutely. So yeah, yeah. So you know, when you have an individual that is 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 constantly giving like that, and and nothing ever returns from it, or they don't feel like it. Look, this is this is going to wear a person down. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's a shame, but that, that's what goes on. So you did 15 years and four of them, if I remember correctly, were as a captain, correct? Yeah, yeah. I was an acting captain. And, and uh, captain means you're running the crew? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, and listen, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Right. And and what happened was when, when I went off for PTSD, I, I came back and then I, well, I was failed on my captain. So I lost my captains. Right. And that's an interesting story and, and probably a story for another time. And you know what? I would I would love to talk more about it. It's not in my nature to be mysterious, but unfortunately, legally, I can't talk about it. So, you know, it, like, it, you know, unfortunately, like I said, I lost my stripes that way. But those four years that I had on the truck, well, it was like it was like looking after three kids. Right. Yeah. And and you, you, you looked at those grown men as kids. Right? right. So you really you know, that empathy level gets put up even higher now. Right. Because now not only are you looking after the citizens, but you're looking after these people. You're responsible for them. Right. 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 So, you know, it's it's great that firefighters get paid a lot of money, but I don't think people understand the pressure. Like it's, it's staggering. Yeah. And, and even if they think they understand, like, oh, my God, that's got to be a stressful job. They do not understand the depth of it. It's really kind of weird. You know, I, I remember the first time I sat in a firehouse as a captain thinking, OK, look, if anything happens in this area, I'm responsible. Like, right. they, like the city doesn't care that it's my first shift. Like right, it, it, right. It, it just doesn't work that way. Right. Like we could have a catastrophic thing happen. So yeah, you know, when you've got that running through your head all the time, look, you're, you're dealing with a lot of different things. And, and look, I, this is nothing that I don't think anybody in the emergency services can handle. Of course I think I can, they can handle it. I, I just think they're not having access to the information. Exactly. And I think that's what, I think that's what's sad about it. Like I would never do what I do if I didn't think there was a solution for it. Well, the, the information and also the services, right? I mean, could there be more support around mental health given to firefighters on a regular basis? Well, you know, look, we've, we've already kind of gone through this kind of uh, discrimination or, or whatever once in the fire service. And look, it happened in like the 70s and the 80s. You know, if firefighters didn't, you know, not everybody had an SCBA pack, you know, to, to cover. Most firefighters just went in a building without a pack. Right. That's that's what that's how they fought fires back in the 70s and 80s. Now, all of a sudden, what happened was the union went to the cities and said, look, our members are dying from cancer here. We need you guys to get packs. And the city said, look, I'm for I'm fortunately in the budget. We, we can't afford it right now. And the union said, OK, well, I'll tell you what. Well, every time somebody gets cancer, we'll sue you. Right. And they went, oh, OK, well, we'll find the money for the packs. Right. <laughs> you know, that's, that's what happens. Right. Exactly. Unfortunately, nobody does anything until they're pushed. Well, once they start to understand with this mental health that, you know, it, like I mentioned before, that, look, this is going to help with sick days. Right. Because unfortunately, if you play the sympathy card, nobody cares. Right. Yeah. Unfortunately. Right. They just don't. Let's let's face reality here so we can stop banging our head against that wall. But if we can look at it from a money aspect, right, they're going to start realizing that, OK, look, if we start pushing this mental health stuff, we're not going to have people going off as much. Yeah. Can you can you imagine a city like Chicago or New York or L.A. or any of those cities if they could save 20 percent of their sick time? Oh, yeah. It'd be it, staggering. It would be staggering. You're absolutely, absolutely right. staggering. So, you know, it, it wouldn't be one of these. Well, you know what? There's mental health here. If you're interested, no, <laughs> you will get your ass in the classroom and you will listen. Right, <laughs> Cause, right. Cause it's no different than, okay, you need to wear a shield when you're doing an extrication with a car because, you know, glass might hit you in the face. If you don't understand this mental health stuff, you could go off sick. Yeah. And yeah. not having that. 
So uh, I know you said you can't really talk about losing your stripes. I'm wondering, I, and yeah. and if I I I do. I have this urge to ask a question, and if you can't answer it, that's totally no, cool. Ask I get it. Yeah, no, go ahead. But um, I'm wondering if it's related to your mental illness. Well, you know, that's a you know, a drum roll, please, right? You know, I, I think I think everybody can kind of figure out that's the case, but the big problem in life is proving it. Yeah. That, you know, that's and you know, that's it. Now, look, here's the thing. You know, don't cry for me, Argentina. Look, in the next two or three years, the same thing that happened to me is going to happen to somebody else. And for the first time, somebody will stand up and go, no, we're not doing this. Right. Right. But you, you can't get mad at a service that has dealt with a problem a certain way since its conception. And now we're asking it to change. And they're like, well, no, I'm sorry. But every generation before this has just drank themselves and had three divorces. And you'll do the same. Right. Well, all, all of a sudden a generation comes along like ours and goes, no, we're not. Like, I'm sorry, I love the job. It doesn't mean that I love the job any less. But guess what? I love my family too. Like, yeah. no, dis no disrespect, right? Because, look, I can, I can tell you from experience. Look, I, I don't care how far you go up the ranks in the emergency services. If your home life is destroyed, none of it matters. Yeah. Because, look, eventually you have to retire from work. Right, and that's what a lot of people right. don't get. You know, they look, it's a, it's a high profile job. Uh, you know, people look up to it, no doubt. And, you know, sometimes people think it's worth their family. And then all of a sudden they hit 60 and go, uh oh, right, right. You, you know, sometimes it, and I'm not saying that happens to everybody, please. People spend 30 years in the emergency services and have wonderful, wonderful careers. But for those individuals that are suffering and trying to self-medicate this problem, look, we got some intel for you guys. Oh, yeah. Like really, like it's like it's sat right here. And like I said, if we can if we can open a dialogue with these individuals, look, I think you're going to see a windfall like you wouldn't believe. Right. I think you're right. So there was a point in time that you officially got a PTSD diagnosis. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, up, up here in Canada, we have a thing called WSIB. And there was a big thing that went through legislation that they recognized PTSD in emergency service workers. So so what that essentially did is turned it into a, a workplace injury. Okay, which makes a massive difference for, for people, right? Because unfortunately, what people used to have to do is look, if you were suffering with these symptoms, you just went off on sick time, and it was just on your own dime. Right. You well. know, so yeah, so these people got well. Eventually, we, of course, what happened, right? You got pushed out of your sick time, and then the problem fixed itself, didn't it? Right, and that's that's how it's always fixed. You know, eventually they're going to run out of sick time. Right. Right. And, and and unfortunately, that's the that's the hiccup in the system. Now in Canada, they kind of looked at that and went, okay, look, these suicide numbers are out of control. Like just like this is out of control now. And unfortunately, the the people that are are choosing suicide are are not your stereotypical suicide people. Okay. These people are captains. They have families, they have good careers, right? Like none of this stuff's adding up. Right. So they really start to recognize that, look, we got a problem here. And if we don't fix it, this is, well, it's going to turn into an epidemic because these are the people we're calling for help. Right. Right. <laughs> but you know, you're cutting off your nose to spite your face by not looking after these guys. Oh yeah. And you mentioned, uh, just briefly that it was a coworker of yours that died by suicide. Yeah, yeah, and you know his, his name was Gene Wininsky, and you know to look at him, you got to be the guy was six foot four, two hundred and thirty pounds. All right, the man was a golden god. Look, if I look like Gene Wininsky, I would never wear a shirt. Okay, <laughs> this guy was incredible. Like he really, he was the greatest chef on the fire department. Seriously, he made burgers once. My mouth still waters when I think about them. Right, he was a bachelor. He went through a divorce. You know, women wanted to be with him, men wanted to be him. Right, he was one of these guys, and, and you know, all us married guys would say, ah, oh, can you imagine just being Gene for a day? And when he chose suicide, it rocked everybody. Yeah. You see, the thing is with Gene, he was very, very big on mental health and nobody really understood why. Well, we found out why. He was vocal about it? 
Well, he was very, very big on mental health, right? He was, look, Gene Wininsky would be the one that would stop a fight in a firehouse. Like I said, you got two guys arguing, Gene would go over and embrace them both to his bosom, right? Come on, guys, we don't need to fight, right? He was, he was one of the Zen masters, like definitely, right? But, you know, understanding now more about mental health and what the gentleman struggled with, he, he was on an island. Yeah. You know, yeah. now look, I'm not, I'm not saying that that was what Gene, you know, the, he was never diagnosed with PTSD, depression, anxiety, right? But we, we are kind of drawing the lines after the fact. Oh, yeah. So how did you find out as a coworker about his death? Well, you know, to be honest, it was a, it was a guy that called me from work and, uh, you know, obviously this, uh, Gene, he lived in the city we worked in and the guy called me up and he said, Hey, look, uh, you know, they, they, they just, they went over to Gene's house. Like, I don't know what's going on, but just sit by your phone. Right. I said, all right. Cause, cause he said, well, Gene's died. Now Gene was 54 years old and an incredible athlete, like an incredible track star, really, really, really big. And I would have thought it was heart attack. Right. That's what I would have thought. You know, these energy drinks and all this stuff. Right. You never know what's going on. And then when he called me back, he said, no, he's he's hung himself with a silk tie. Wow. And I just I, well, yeah, I was like, are you? No, no, no. We're talking about Gene Wininsky. Right. So, you know, as soon as I heard that, I'll be entirely honest with you. It wasn't sadness that it was that I felt it was it was absolute fear. Right. Because I, I knew whatever got Gene was was coming for me. And, and trust me, if it could take Gene out, I didn't stand a chance. Like seriously didn't stand a chance. So at the time I'd, I'd gone through a separation and I just met, uh, you know, Miss Jackie, uh, you know, my, my new wife and, you know, we've moved into this house and I'm thinking to myself, I'm, I'm not losing all this. So it's amazing how, you know, a job is important until you, you, you look at your own mortality. Right. And you, wait a minute. Okay. Yeah. The job's important, but look, I'll work at three subways as long as I get to see my kids graduate university. Right. Right. Like I, like I don't care. So, you know, the stigma goes so far in the emergency services, but I think when you get pushed into a corner like that, all of a sudden you stop caring what other people think really quick because thinking, worrying about what people think is what's got me in this problem. <laughs> you know right, what I mean? Right. You know, it really has right ever since high school. So did you immediately, uh, what steps did you take after you heard about that? And you've got this fear going through your mind that that could be you next. Well, you know what? I'll tell you what. I wasn't jumping up and down wearing a T-shirt saying I think I have PTSD. No, I pretty much played it close to my chest, right? I, I needed to figure out what was going on. But you got to understand, like I said, I'm an acting captain at the time who wants to become a captain. So the last thing I want to do is go around asking for mental health. But my personal life supersedes it, right? So the thing is what I do is, you know, I don't even turn to the union. I don't turn to anybody. I start finding psychologists. I realize whatever it is that's taking me out is taking me out. And then, you know what? If I don't get some weapons really quick, this thing's going to finish me. Like it really is. If it took Gene out, it's definitely taking me out. So I found a, a psychologist that specialized in PTSD. Her name's Dr. Story. She lives about 45 minutes away from me. But I mean, please, it's your life, right? Would you not drive two hours? So the, the second I started sitting down and talking to her, look, this is when I, I, I got this incredible obsession to start the podcast because I thought, you know what, if my buddies at work knew this stuff, oh my gosh, what a game changer. But the problem is, is this information is 200 bucks an hour. <laughs> okay. Right, right. And if you're, if you're suffering from depression, PTSD and anxiety, I'm going to lay odds. Your finances aren't in the best either. Okay. Oh, yeah. Things are not going the best. So the last thing you're going to do is drop 200 large on a doctor. Did you not have any therapist access closer or was that a particular therapist you wanted to see or what was the reason for the 45 minute drive? Well, you know, I spent a lot of time bouncing around, uh, 
uh, what do they call it? Um, well, public assistance uh, kind of uh, uh, therapy is what it is. The name escapes me. It's three letters. Anyways, uh, EAP is what it is. And and what you can do is you can go talk to a counselor about stuff. Now, look, these people are fantastic. Like, please, you have to understand this before I continue with this. Uh, you know, these people are great if you're going through a divorce or let's say a midlife crisis, or maybe there's been a death in the family or, or you know, a separation or whatever. But look, these, these people just aren't trained to deal with PTSD. Okay, that's that's just another pay grade. Right. You're you're asking somebody who can do first aid to do open heart surgery. Yeah. It's not fair. So after about two or three people of talking to these EAPs, I, I found that they felt better about themselves than I did when I left. Right. You know, I, the, the stuff that I'm telling them, I can tell by the look on their face. I'm good enough at reading people that okay, they didn't expect to hear any of this stuff when I walked in the door. So it was at that time that I started to realize that look, as always, right? If you have an emergency, you need more information about it. Because that's what we do with fires, right? The more information you get, the less scary something is. So as long as you treat this mental health like a house fire, you should be okay, right? You just make sure all your exposures are okay and you understand what you're fighting and then you can go in. So this is what I did. I, I looked for somebody that specializes in PTSD. I, I didn't just look for a psychologist because, look, I, you know, we're, the brain's a big thing. I want somebody who knows what they're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I, I, got, I got very lucky. That's awesome. I, I always talk about if you start therapy for a first time and you've never done it before and it doesn't go so well, try a different therapist, right? You, you've got to, not only do you want somebody knowledgeable in the specifics of your situation, like you mentioned PTSD, but also somebody you can click with, right? You got to, uh -oh. it's the, that relationship is really important. And if you aren't clicking with somebody after two or three appointments, I think it's well worth trying to find it somebody else. Oh, I say, you know what? Tell them it's it, look. Tell them it's you, not them. Like, just break up with them, right? <laughs> right? Just be done with it. But you know, this is what people really have to understand: is look, these psychologists do have all this incredible information, but they can't help you if you don't accept the program. But help us understand, though. You mentioned PTSD and all this stuff was kind of off your radar. Was it one of the first counselors who said, "Oh yeah, this is PTSD"? Or when, when did you first connect those dots? Well, you know, look, in the emergency services, we all know the stuff we see is messed up. All right. We, we, we have an understanding that, okay, look, you know what? The stuff that we see is not normal. All right. We see enough people in our line of works change through a 20, 30 year career. So look, this, this is not new news to us. We laugh about it. We get drunk and you know, we, we, we don't talk about it very often, but the thing is, is that we look, we fully understand what's going on. Right. So I'm sorry, I kind of got lost there a little bit. The first question, the, the question you asked. Well, it was really just uh, how did you connect the dots to PTSD when you said you went to look specifically right. for a therapist with PTSD? Was it one of the first counselors who said, oh, this is a classic case of PTSD or or did you go in knowing as a firefighter? Obviously, you knew PTSD, even though you were maybe in denial at the time that depression or PTSD could impact a tough fireman. Right now, yeah, because I was I was thrown off the mark because I thought PTSD was just one incident. Like okay. I, I didn't I didn't realize you could get it from exposure. So no, nobody tipped me off to it was PTSD. Look, I'll be honest. The first doctor I ever talked to about this was my family doctor, and he completely told me right out of the gates that look, I'm sorry, Carl, you can't get PTSD because you're a firefighter. Only military personnel can get post traumatic stress disorder. And I remember thinking, okay, well that's great, that's awesome, thanks so much, I really appreciate it. All right, I'm. I'm I'm fine. But, but when I walked out of the doctor's office, I got in the car and looked in the mirror and thought, well, if it's not that, then then what is it? That's really, that's a little it's true, uh, frustrating right? to hear oh, that yeah, a, yeah. a doctor would say that. Well, you know, hey, listen, at the time I thought it was great. 
right? Because mm-hmm. as far as I was concerned, I didn't give any kind of respect to this mental health. So if a doctor tells me I can't have it, look, I'm just on a bad stretch then, right, you know? Right. And I think a lot of people class depression as a rut. Yeah. And he, they don't realize that at any time they can change that. Right. It's so powerful, like so, so powerful. We wait for life to change so we can change our rut, but we can change anytime we want. Yeah, absolutely. Like we really, really can. But depression, and I felt this, will absolutely convince you that you cannot. It's not possible. So so your doctor tells you there's no way it's PTSD. You're not in the military. Right. So, so what happens then? And, and when do you first realize, holy crap, this is PTSD I'm dealing with? Well, you know, I think after about the third EAP that I went to and you know what, they were crying and I thought, okay, look, you know what, I don't think I have PTSD. Okay. Cause as far as I'm concerned, only military personality got it, but I'm dealing with something here. Yeah. You know, I'm sorry, but there has to be. So what I did was I went, you know, well, like I do with everything, I went over the top and I thought, okay, well, look, I'll go to the best PTSD doctor I can possibly find and have her tell me that it's not PTSD. Right, right. Right, let's go that route. Now, when I was sat there, oh, I had my good golf shirt on, right? Oh, I was because Now, this is honest, the therapist that's 45 minutes away? Yeah, this is the okay. psychologist, right? right yep. And w- when I was driving down to her, I remember thinking, ah, like, am I really going to a psychologist's office? Because as far as I was concerned, only crazy people went to psychologists. Right. Right, seriously, right? Yeah. And I'm thinking, you know, what am I doing here? But, you know what, after about 10 or 15 minutes about talking to her, she said, okay, yeah, no, no, there's, there's, yeah. Tell, this is what we're this is what we're dealing with. Tell us what it was like walking in that door. I mean, did it feel a little surreal? Were you you Terrible. were literally trying to uh, to get the answer of nope, can't be PTSD. Well, you know, to be honest, all I could think about was Hannibal Lecter from Sounds of the Lambs. Like I, I did, I did, look, I didn't want a psychologist crawling around in my head. That was the last thing I wanted, right? right. So the thing is, look, it's such a strange thing for a guy. I can't really speak for a lady, but you're going in there asking for help, but you're about as guarded as you can possibly be because you got to remember, I'm terrified of this lady going, you know what? You're never going to ride a truck again. Right. Like you're done, right? Not thinking for a second that it's this lady that's trying to help me. But the problem is when you, you're you dealing with depression or anxiety or PTSD, your guard is huge. Yeah. yeah. Right. So how, how are you going to, how can you possibly accept the program? Right. So she's asking me stuff and I'm trying to answer it as, as correctly as I can without incriminating myself. Right. Like you, right. You, you get to, it just doesn't work that way. You know, so when people start to realize that, okay, look, you know, you go to a doctor when you have a cold or you have a sinus infection, you don't really know. You just don't feel right. Right. Well, can you imagine if people did that for therapists? Right. Like there's so many people out there going, well, no, it's not depression. And how many years did you spend in medical school? Like, like, how can you possibly say that? Right. You know, you don't think it's depression because the last thing you want to do is be made fun of. But can you imagine if you just kind of bit the bullet and listen to this information for a couple of weeks, you might actually get that feeling back. Right. So she starts talking to you and immediately nails it down as you have PTSD. Right out of the gates. Like, you know, what my situation is, look, it's just compound. And you know, what went through your head when she said that? Well, I, you know, I, to be honest with you, I thought of it no different as an injury. Look, in the fire service, you're always getting hurt. Okay, it's just, please, everything in the fire service bites you. Like, really, it's awkward lifting. It's awful. So the thing is, is you spend most of your career in physiotherapy, right? So I looked at this mental health as physiotherapy. All right, well, I've got PTSD, so what do I need to do? You got some exercises? Eight weeks, am I done? Back to the truck? All right, cool, let's do it. So, no so even, though, even though you uh, were under the impression that there's no way in hell you had PTSD, you were pretty accepting of it right away and like, okay, great. How do I fix it? 
I, t- I tell you what, when you feel stuff like that, <laughs> you'll pretty much listen to anybody. Yeah. Like really, like it gets that bad when, when you're, when you're crushing two bottles of wine a night just to go to sleep and right. you're not even doing it for fun anymore. Like this, this sucks. I'm spending all this money and it's like a sleeping pill, but I can't seem to get out of the cycle. Look, when you, when you're watching your life disintegrate, you're pretty open to suggestions. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? Like, you know, I can understand why people out there that, well, they're having a bit of a rough time and, and things aren't working out. I can understand why they don't look for help because if you can tolerate it, you will. That's what human beings do, right? We just tolerate. We're terrible for it, right? But when you get to that last rung where you're like, I did, look, there's nowhere else to go. Like I'm now at rock bottom. Well, you, you start, you start listening to people. Yeah, it's absolutely. Just, but, the reason why I do this is, look, and I say this in my podcast all the time, look, please don't be like me. You don't have to ride this all the way down into the basement. Like, you know, everybody does that. They wait till the 11th hour before getting help. But what if, okay, look, you started to notice that your sleeping's starting to go. And instead of just going, well, you know what, everybody doesn't sleep and whatever, but you actually actively look at it. No different than a sprained ankle, right? If you got a sprained ankle, you're not going to walk around on it forever. Right. right. Because, well, your buddies are going to say this is stupid. Get to the doctor. You know, I hate waiting for you all the time. You're limping all the time. But, you know, unfortunately, we haven't really evolved as a society to look at mental health in that way. Right. But, you know, like I said at the beginning of the podcast there, you know, when 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 men out there really start to understand that if you can control your brain, OK, it makes everything easier. Oh, buddy. You know, I've always said, look, you go into a firehouse and say, look, would anybody like to learn about mental health? You'll hear crickets. But you walk into that exact same room and say, who wants to be stronger? Right, right. You'll see you'll see every head snap. Yeah, you will, because we know that being stronger makes us better at our jobs. Right. Like to help people. Tell us, uh, are you still going to the same psychologist? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. How how often do you go? I go once a week. Okay, And can you kind of. Walk us through what a therapy session might be. I mean, are you talking about specific situations of your work and is she talking you through them or what's the premise of PTSD therapy? Well, you know, that's that's I I, I thought it would be like a uh, grilling um uh debrief or whatever, right? You know, you have these symptoms, you know, this is what you're going to do for it. These are your exercises. But uh, God, you know what? It, it's, it's a 45 to a, a 60 minute conversation. Like that's really it, right? You're just, you're kind of talking about your day. And, and what you have to understand is these people have 10 years of education. Okay. They will pick out what they need out of your conversation. Look, communication is 80% nonverbal. All right. If people could honestly hear what I see when I talk to them, it's ridiculous. So you can only imagine what a psychologist would be able to do. Right. Right. Look, everybody thinks that they have to cough up this terrible stuff. But they, look, these psychologists are about 20 steps ahead of you. Yeah. You know, look, whenever Dr. Story talks to me and I talk to her, look, it's a wonderful conversation. Look, we, we have a good laugh and all that stuff. And then halfway home, I go, oh, yeah, I never really thought about it like that. Look, PTSD therapy, as far as I'm concerned, deals with perspective. All right. Because, you know, this this is why you have people in emergency services that seem to be choosing suicide when there's no reason they should is because they can't see the beautiful stuff. Right. right. Their perspective is is gone. You know, and, you know, I don't care how many people tell you you're a beautiful, wonderful person. If you don't like yourself, you're going to lose that game. Yeah. You know, so, you know, that's what Dr. Story has really done for me is she's shown me that, look, if you can't change the physical stuff in your life, okay, let's say your life is for whatever reasons, then the art is to find a way to see that stuff differently. And, and every time I used to hear that, I used to roll my eyes. I used to think, oh, that's so stupid. I can't change this the way I look at this. But, but it's the truth. 
Can you give an example of looking at something differently? Sure. Okay. Here's a great example. Let's say, uh, you know, everybody's got kids. I've got four kids of my own, right? So, you know, when they're a little bit younger and let's say the kid spills orange juice on the ground. Oh, it's sticky. I hate that. Right. When you mop it up, you, you have to wash it and everything drives me nuts. Now let's say you wake up in the morning and you stub your toe and you walk downstairs and you're in a really, really bad mood or whatever. Right. And you come around the corner, right. And you're already in a bad mood and you see the orange juice. How do you react to that situation? Well, you're probably frustrated and angry and oh, I can't believe this. Right. But let's say you had a wonderful night's sleep. Okay, the best night you've ever had, right? You woke up, you feel fantastic, the sun's shining, bluebirds singing, all that jazz. You come downstairs and you see the orange juice. Now how do you react to that? Right. It's, it's all a perspective. A yeah, it's all a perspective thing. Look, I don't know how many bars I went into in the 90s where I had the time of my life and the guy next to me had a terrible time. Right. We're, we're both in the same bar. We're around the same people. My perspective of that bar is different. Now, the problem is with PTSD, depression, anxiety, when you've got a war going on in your head, how long do you think it's going to be before you project that? Yeah. Because it's, re it's really, really confusing to feel sadness and anger inside your head, but everything that you visually see is okay. This is why these people with PTSD start picking fights. Look, at least the outside makes sense now. It's not that it's better, but at least it's not confusing. Right. It's as chaotic as the inside of the yeah, head. As the, as the inside, right? And look, a very, very confusing thing for men, feelings. And, and one thing, PTSD, depression, anxiety, especially anxiety and all that stuff, look, you feel feelings you've never felt before. And not only that, with depression, it takes away feelings that you took for granted. That was the thing that shocked me. Look, I didn't realize how much I enjoyed stuff until I couldn't. Right. And then I went, okay, well, where do you go from here? Like, how much do you drink? Like, say, like, how far, how far do you push it? How many vacations can you go on? How many Amazon boxes can show up on your front doorstep? Right, right. You just, you keep trying to scratch that itch. And the problem is, if you don't know what you're doing, it's only a matter of time before you get into debt. And I'll tell you what, when you get into debt in nowadays terms, you're going to learn misery then. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, when, when money goes, love goes out the window, right? So you can <laughs> understand how all of a sudden this, all of this compounds and it all starts with this depression. Right. You know, and, and if we can, if we can get early detection, no different than anybody else, right? If we can get early detection on this, do you understand the pain that a person can avoid? Yeah, absolutely. Staggering. Absolutely. And, and there's no gold star if you don't get help, guys. Like, seriously, it, trust me, I've been there enough times when people have passed and nobody comes along and says, hey, way to go for being tough your whole life. Yeah. Like it, it doesn't. So you might as well enjoy yourself while you're here. Yeah. And I really believe in the saying that being tough is actually taking that step and reaching out for help because it's not always easy. And that's the tough thing to do. You can sit and put a mask on it all you want and watch it go down the tubes. But oh. reaching out for help and taking that step was really tough for me. And I think that's the strong, tough thing to do, really. Well, yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more because I, I've definitely stood on both sides of that fence. You know, I've, I've worn the mask better than anybody. And I'll tell you what, it's it's dead simple to be the dancing fool. Right. Oh, right. listen, you know what? As long as you just keep agreeing with what everybody wants, everybody will love you. Yeah. Like, exactly. honestly, right. You know what? If you don't want to upset anybody, don't do anything new. Right. Don't right. don't ever stand right. up for what you want. Right. Because people don't like that because it goes against their agenda. But look, at, at some point, guys, we, I know, you know, definitely emergency service workers. We we're in the habit of helping people. But, hey, at some point, we got to figure out what's in it for this guy. Because, you know, if we don't look after this guy, guess what? The whole system crashes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like it does, right? And I think I think a lot of single fathers out there will feel that, right? Single moms too, right? Like you, you have to understand that you'd be tough, you'd be tough, you'd be tough. But if you get sick, who's feeding your kids? Yeah, yeah. 
Right on. I, 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 and I felt that. So you see a therapist still every week. Anything else you're doing uh, to manage your PTSD and depression? Well, you know, I, okay, I've, you know, it's funny when you find yourself in pain, you research a lot of different stuff. Oh, yeah. Right. And you know what? Here's the thing. Look, I always rolled my eyes at meditation, but you know, the stuff's been around for 5,000 years, right? You know, how do you argue with stuff like that, right? So, you know, that is definitely something I looked at. But, you know, the most effective thing that I've personally found is um, self-care. And, and, and that really shocked me more than anything. Right. Because, well, I'm a guy. Right. I don't moisturize my skin. I, you know, I, I don't do stuff like that. But when we start to understand that, look, if uh, you know, I said this in a show last night that we're in the greatest fight of our lives. But uh, you know what? Here's the thing. You're in the worst shape of your life. Yeah. And, and if you can't you can't manage your body, you can't fight this fight. You just it, it doesn't work. Right. Because, you, you, you know, I, every time that I was depressed, I used to go eat whatever I wanted. Right. I get a double cheeseburger from Wendy's. Oh, I love it. It's lovely, lovely. Right. But am I really helping myself or am I poisoning myself? Right. You know, and that's really what I did. I did that for years. Right. I would drink wine because it made me feel good. I'd eat whatever I'd want. I'd smoke cigarettes. Who cares? But I'm putting myself in the biggest cage I possibly can because I can't do anything. Right. Right. It's, what are uh, some examples of the self-care that you utilize? Well, it, it, what I did <laughs> To be honest with you, my diet was so bad that, look, I started researching foods on the internet that I liked that were good for me. All right, because here's the thing, you've got to educate yourself. So look, I know everybody goes to self-care with the, the lotions and, and all that stuff, and that's great. You, you need to do that, right? But the problem was is, look, I, I've been living on beef jerky and cans of Coca-Cola for like six months. <laughs> you know, I, I've got to start repairing some of the damage I did. So you know what? I would make it every Tuesday and Thursday for like an hour and a half to research foods. Yeah. Okay, and, and since I'm depressed, right, I, you know what? Here's the thing. Why would you take an hour and a half making a glazed duck when you don't want to eat? <laughs> you, right, you, know, right. you, you go to convenience, right? If I drive through McDonald's, right, I can get a meal for nine bucks and then I'm done eating and I like I don't enjoy eating. So or better whatever. yet, if you're depressed and you uh, are stuck in the home and isolating, you could just call for pizza. Oh, <laughs> in today's day and age, are you, you don't kidding even have me? To go out. Oh, you can have whatever you want. So the, the thing is, is that you rub six months on that behavior and right. now try to fight PTSD, depression or anxiety. Right. You must be kidding. You know, you're 30 pounds overweight, your joints hurt, you, you're breathing hard by the time you get upstairs, and you're fighting something that knows your psyche? Right, right. All right, good luck, man. Like, you know, like you are, and I don't think people give enough credit. Everybody tries to raise awareness for mental health, but nobody actually sits there and realizes what monster this is. Right. So, uh, so I hear you saying you research food, you watch your diet, anything else as far as uh, self-care goes? Well, uh, you know what? I think that's just about it. You know, when, when you get to the point where you're getting your body feeling better, it's an amazing what a leg up that is. Exercise? Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely okay. a must. Yeah, yeah, sorry, I can't believe I left that out. But here's the thing, not fanatical. Right. Right? I think too many people make that mistake. Look, we're not training for the Olympics here. Yeah. All right? So, look, I work out three times a week. I do weight training three times a week. Right. And, you know, I used to do it five times a week. And, okay, that's great. You know what? My physical fitness is going up. But, dude, I'm not feeling it. Yeah. Right. And it's okay not to do that. Everybody has this mentality that you have to be rocky. No, look, look, just get yourself moving once a day. Look, get a sweat on. I don't care how you do it. So, you know, working out, look, anytime that you can challenge your body like that, look, this is a good thing. But with depression, we don't do it because we can't be bothered. Yeah. Right? You know yeah. I mean? You can't be bothered. And a lot of people's energy is just zapped right it's out gone. of them, right? Yeah. No, so I, I even say if, if it's baby steps, you know, get yourself up and out of the, off the couch and 
go for a walk around the block, you get fresh air. You might bump into people who you know and say hello and socialize a bit, and you're getting so a little bit of exercise, even if you're just walking at a faster clip. Yeah, not only that, you're teaching your brain that, look, okay, maybe there's other things to do than sit in the house. Because, yeah. look, I, sp I spent two and a half years doing it. So, right. look, I'm not looking down my nose. Yeah. Right. Do you consider your podcasting to be self-care? You know, that's really, really interesting because yeah, it's a brilliant point. Yeah, I, you know what? I, I guess it, it, it would have to be because, you know, I do three shows a week, right? I do three podcasts a week and then I do three Facebook Lives a week. And there were many, many, many times that I didn't want to get out of bed, but I had to do a podcast. Yeah. I had to, right? And I didn't do it because I felt I had to because, look, I don't get paid for what I do, right? It's right. all free. It's, it's the fact that, okay, it was something I enjoyed. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I you know, find it to be very therapeutic, and that's why oh, I asked. And and you everything. mentioned you mentioned earlier too how you wanted to be in the profession of helping, and you are still incredibly helping people. Maybe now more so than you were doing on your job some days. Oh yeah, look, my scope is so much further than the fire department. Look, I okay, I used to protect a, a coverage area. Look, I have people I talk to in Australia. Right. And that's the yeah. coolest feeling. And unfortunately, depression will sometimes rob those little adventures from us. And look, I'm here to say to the men and ladies out there, look, don't let it do it. Like, right. seriously, there was a number of times where I used to think, well, Carl, why would you do podcasts? It's not like you can make any money at it. Well, why don't we just do it? Because it's fun. Yeah. Exactly. Right. And, and I'm it's sorry, fun but that, and it's helping people. Yeah. And you know, that's, I'm sorry, but that is really your only weapon against depression. As far as I'm concerned is fun. Yeah. But in, in today's world, we don't do anything unless we can get paid for it. Right. So tell us more. <laughs> so you've got uh, a website, PTSDBunkerGearForYourBrain.com, right? I think that whole piece yeah, yeah. is your website, and you've got a pod, uh, you do a podcast, and you do the YouTube videos, right? I love your YouTube videos. And I don't know, <laughs> like you, you're still dealing with depression, I know you've said, but you've got a lot of energy always. And I know. And it's, I think it's, it's awesome. It's, I love watching even more than listening to the podcast, the YouTube piece. I just, I love seeing you there and you're energetic. You're so positive. You're talking directly to the audience and, uh, and you keep it going. It's, it's really cool. But so tell us more about those shows. Yeah, you know, to be honest, the, the, when I when I did the podcast, I started with the blog, right? I'm a terrible writer. So, you know, I found out about this podcasting. I thought, well, I can talk. Yeah, no, I could do that, right? So now I just got to teach myself how to set this up. Now, the Facebook Live thing, I'll be honest, every single show for the first three months, I threw up down the side of the house. Like I was terrified, right? Absolutely terrified because I had no format either, right? But I – look, I, I knew there were people out there that wanted this information, I knew that, right? So, you know what? The more that I could push this information out, well, the, the more these people really kind of soaked it in. And what I really was big on with that Facebook Live is every single comment I would comment after, right? Because look, people just want to talk. Even though we live in a day and age that, you know, it's the greatest information of all time being shared, it's amazing how lonely people are, Yeah. right? So really, that's what I did with the Facebook Live is I kind of treated it like a house party. You know, I, I looked all over the internet for information as far as depression, PTSD, anxiety. And, you know, I found a lot of really, really medical stuff. Well, un unfortunately, look, I, I knew how these guys talked, right? And, and it was this, this hidden, it was this hidden secret because in the fire service, you go to all walks of life. Okay. And, and depression comes for the rich and the poor. And oh, it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter any of that stuff, religion, Absolutely. none of that stuff. Right. So, you know, even after 15 years, I'm like, okay, look, this is something everybody suffers with. 
All right. A large, large majority. And if they don't suffer with it, they definitely know somebody who does, even if they don't understand it. Right. So you start to understand how many people really need this information. And I thought, you know what? I'll be the dancing fool. Whatever. You know, that's fine. You know what? I'm, I'm a firefighter who's gone off with PTSD. I, you know, myself, my, my self-respect can't get any lower at this point. So, you know, something good has to come from this. Look, a surefire way to make yourself feel better. It doesn't matter how bad everything is, is help somebody. Yeah. Like seriously, you go to soup kitchen, like seriously, go to a soup kitchen for a Saturday. You're going to walk out of there feeling better about yourself. I don't care how you felt when you walked in there. And you know, that's something hardwired in human beings. And I swear it's there for a reason because a lot of people don't do it that much, but if they actually did it, it's amazing how you feel stuff. Right. And, and when you have depression, that's, that's a rare feeling. It's almost like an electrical shock. You're like, Ooh. I haven't felt that in a while. Yeah, you know what right, I mean? Right, yeah, right. Yeah, it's, it's really so cool. You, you're cranking out three podcasts a week, three yeah. Facebook Lives a week. That's phenomenal. That's a well, that's... Uh, yeah, yeah. Is it look, and that goes to show you how much information there is, right? Because what I do at the beginning of the week is I pick a subject, right? And then I do three podcasts on that subject. Because look, I'm I'm really inspired by somebody starting something on Monday and then knowing how to do it on Friday. I love that, right? When a human being can pick up a skill set. I think that's awesome, right? So what I really do is I take those those three shows, right? And I try to teach people about that subject. Let's say we're talking about insomnia, right? Why is it that people can't sleep, right? Or maybe we're going to talk about feelings, right? But I want to know where feelings are born. Like seriously, I don't want to talk about them. I want to know where they come from. So what I do is I take information. I just go deeper. Well, you know, last night we talked about consciousness, Right, which is a fascinating subject. And, you know, I think with the whole mental health thing, everybody's so, so scared about, you know, either offending or whatever, and that's fine. But, you know, everybody's curious about this information. Like they really are, right? Everybody kind of wants to know about it a little bit, right? And if you can put it in kind of an entertaining form and kind of laugh at it instead of being frightened of it, then guess what? People really respond to it. So this is what I've been doing. And, and, you know, doing the Facebook Live is kind of putting myself out there even more. And what an amazing thing happens is this, this really kind of weird movement starts to happen because then other people put themselves out there. You know, like let's say there's a captain who's been on the fire service for 27 years. And he's like, you know what? I've been suffering with this crap my whole career. I'm sick of it. And I'm telling people, right? You know, this, <laughs> yeah, this, right. this is the stuff that's starting to happen, right? So, you know, really it was just me being the dancing fool and poaching information. That's really what I did, right? I would take information from the psychologist and I would try to find a way in layman's terms to explain, okay, why is it that grown men will just all of a sudden start crying? Right. Why does that happen? So like, you're getting your be- research from the psychologist. Are you researching online? Because you do yeah. you have a wealth of information. Yeah, you know, I, I really, really weird stuff. And, you know, I, like I, I, I try to research as much as I can on the internet. Right. And here's the thing. Everybody's worried about researching stuff on the Internet. Look, don't worry about doing that. Look, worry about researching one source. That's the problem everybody makes. Right. But if you research a whole bunch of sources, you're going to realize what is crap and what isn't. Right. Right. You know, you're going to figure it out slowly. And I'm not trying to pass any grades here. I'm just trying to understand it. So that's where I'm at kind of a, a real advantage here. Okay, because I'm I don't have any qualifications. So look, I'm I'm taking complicated information and I'm making it simple. Right. No different than no different than what I do with an emergency scene. Yeah. Right. I take I take a situation that's out of control and I put it back in control. That's all I do. And then I go back to the station, have something to eat. Right. You know, so really all I've done is I've taken the, you know, the SOGs that we use in the fire service and I've implemented that for the mental health stage. Like, what do you do when you have a panic attack? Right. So we'll, we'll have an entire week on panic attacks, not only, you know, how it affects your body physically. Right. But what the hell is actually going on here? 
Right. Like really, what, what what's happening? Because I think once people understand what's happening, that's when they go, oh, okay, yeah, I'll fight this. Yeah, I got no qualms fighting, right? But putting somebody in a dark room and poking them, that scares them. Right. So right. really all, all I do is I clamp a light bulb on it. That's really all I do with this information. So I don't ever get too deep into anything. And the other thing that I never, ever do, I never bring hate to it. Okay, right. you got to be really got to be careful on the internet cuz once you open the door to hate talk, <laughs> you're going to get a landslide of people commenting. So look, I bring love, man. That's all I do, right? Like, you know, I'm not saying that this is right or that is wrong, but look, this is the stuff that I've used. And you know, when you were able to put yourself out there like that and you know, you don't do it for attention and you're not trying to get money or or anything like that, people go, "All right, you know, this guy's been doing this for like a year now. Right, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like this, this guy's not in it for a quick buck. And, and, and you know, to be honest with you, I do it in my living room. Like yeah. really, right? I do it in my living room with my phone. I don't have a lot of costs. It's just my time. And, you know, if I can spend, I don't know, 50, 60 hours a week on this show, right? But that saves somebody's marriage. Yeah, like, like it's I, well worth I, it, huh? I, you know, I, I know it doesn't show up on your taxes. Like, I get that, right? <laughs> and I don't get any money from it. But I think once we start to understand that there's, look, there's a lot more important stuff than money. Right. Like, it really is. I know, you know, somebody should probably tell that to the bank manager, right? right <laughs> Money's right. an important thing. It's a necessary evil. But I think we've really kind of got caught up in that, okay, look, if I buy stuff, this is going to make me happy. Yeah. That's a, that's a scary road. Absolutely. So if people want to see your Facebook Live, your YouTube, what's the best way to get to it? Probably the best way to see what I do is on our Facebook page at PTSD Bunker Gear for Your Brain. Um, I put all my podcasts on there and my Facebook live on just a steady stream. Um, you know, I've got other, um, groups on Facebook, like the bunker room, which is a support group, but I also have the, the think tank and that's on Thursday nights at seven o'clock. And basically what that is, is just a house party, right? I, I have a closed group and you know what, we, we put some questions in and I do like a 45 minute show where I just kind of answer these questions, right? Like you are doing a lot. Well, you know, you have to, right? You know, look, here's the thing I found in life. You got to vibrate at an incredible level to get people to stop looking at what they're looking at and look at you. Right. right. I'm sorry. Look, you, you can tell people to watch your stuff and you can tell them to like and share. But when you're vibrating in that intensity, people go, what is this guy doing? Right. And, and I think you can only do stuff like that that you truly love. It's this incredible system that we have because, look, I, there's no way I would have been able to do this. You couldn't have paid me enough to do this if I didn't love it. Right. Like you just, yeah, there's no way I wouldn't have got up and come down and done it. I, I would have ran a rerun this week or whatever. Right. But I think once we start to discover the stuff that we love, it, it's amazing how that is the most incredible weapon against depression because depression can't touch it. Right. It's so much deeper. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Yeah. You know. So before we wrap up, what advice would you have, you know, particularly, I think, for a firefighter out there who is struggling, what would you tell them right now? You know, look, let, let's just park the feelings and, and all that stuff for half a second. Look, you, you know what's going on with you. Okay, that's the biggest thing. Let's not look at everybody else around here because, you know, that's what we do at work, right? Ted over there has got a worse drinking problem than I do, right? Let's let's stop worrying about those people. And if you know in your very soul that, look, things aren't, things aren't working the way they should, okay? I don't want to get into details, right? But your number one weapon here is knowledge, okay? Look, just I'm not telling you to go get a medical journal. I'm talking go to YouTube and put explain depression, 
Okay, because I really think if these people understand what depression is, they'd be like, oh, I get it. Okay, you know, that makes total sense. Right. And then they start fighting the depression instead of fighting themselves. Right. Because that's that's what too many people do. They fight themselves. And look, ladies and gentlemen, you look, you're not that depression. Like, I'm sorry, but you're not. Right. It's really, really that simple. Right. There's some wiring that's getting messed up that's sending the information to your brain and that's telling you how to act. Yeah. But that's that's not who you are as a person. Right. I think one thing I would also add, just based on my conversation with you, is research the depression, like you said, but also research and know that you may be experiencing PTSD. You know, you oh, mentioned how a doctor told you, oh, couldn't be you. That's a military thing. And know, just know. know that your overexposure to really challenging situations and horrifying things at times and whatnot, just the, the job itself could easily create PTSD. Well, you know, even though we don't understand PTSD that much in our line of work, we all understand the concept that if you swim in a sewer long enough, you're going to get dirty. Yeah. Like that's, I mean, it has to happen. You know, the, the, you know, if we've got time, the analogy I always use with this PTSD is like, you know, your garage, it always gets messy because the kids throw stuff in there, right? And then one day you have to clean it up. So you, the only reason you clean it up is because you can't find anything, right? You clean it all up and that's fantastic. Well, ladies and gentlemen, our brain gets like this too. Right. Right. You keep throwing stuff back in there, but you don't process it because, look, I didn't know I need to process it. Look, it's not that your brain gets full. It just gets bunged up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and that's why people have problems sleeping for the simple reason. Guess what? When you go to sleep and your five senses aren't taking in any information, well, your brain likes to watch movies. Yeah. And sometimes that wakes the beast up. Look, I never had nightmares. I just got up every two to three hours. Right, right. Like that, I just thought I was old. I had to pee all the time. But look, can you imagine if you could just give somebody their sleep back? Like, forget mental health. Oh my God! Sleep like just eight critical. hours of sleep. Like, oh, it's incredible, right? You know, it really, really. I remember walking around this house hearing about Guantanamo Bay that their their the U.S. government's definition of torture was waking up their prisoners every two to three hours. Oh yeah. And I thought, you know what? That's the same sleeping pattern I have. And yeah. then I went, oh no. <laughs> you know what? If my sleeping pattern's being classed as torture, there's something going on with my inner. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, I think, yeah, uh, so, you know, with, with major depression, I think that's typically the first thing they try to address, doctors. Is let's make sure we figure out how to get you sleep. You can't sleep. You can't rest. You can't repair. Right. Like, you just, you can't, right? So, you know what? Think about your cars, gentlemen. Like, please, you're not going to put bad oil and, and bad antifreeze in there, right? Because it breaks down and that's a pain. Right. But I'll tell you what, you your body down, that's it. Well, Carl, I uh, I want to thank you for the work you're doing. I mean, oh, well, thanks for me on the show. This is great. You were a you are a firefighter saving lives, and now uh, a huge advocate. People, listeners, please make sure you check out uh, Carl's stuff. His PTSD bunker gear for your brain. Uh, you will not. Uh, you will not uh, have any uh, lack of energy when you are watching Carl. He is passionate, energetic, and a wealth of knowledge. Mm. Well, you know what? Listen, I just I just want to say, look, I've had so much fun on your show. If you ever have somebody cancel, give me a shout. I'll be here in a heartbeat. Look, I've had an absolute <laughs> blast. I think what you're doing is incredible. Really, like it really, really is. So, yeah, just please know if you ever want me on the show, I'm here. <laughs> well, thank you for all you do, Carl. Make sure you stay healthy and uh, keep up the great work. Uh, champion. I do appreciate it, Al. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to The Depression Files. If you are currently suffering from depression and are experiencing thoughts of suicide, please reach out for help. In the United States, you can text 741-741 to 
to connect with a trained crisis counselor, or you can go to suicide.org for a list of international suicide hotlines. If you enjoyed the show, please hit the like button. In addition, please leave a rating and a review on iTunes. Thank you again for listening to The Depression Files.